Welcome to How Things Connect, where we get personal and planetary. Get ready to expand your consciousness with healing insight and evolutionary wisdom. I'm so pleased today to have as my guest, Ryan Kemp. Ryan is a regenerative business consultant, educator, guide, published author and speaker. Over the last 10 years, he's traveled to over 45 countries, learning from different cultural elders and working on solutions to food waste, plastic remediation, energy access, and the detriments of tourism. Some of his past work includes consulting with the Prime Minister of Cameroon, working with the Minister of Energy in Myanmar towards renewable energy independence, and living and working on intentional permaculture communities throughout Hawaii, the Caribbean, and Central America, assisting movements in food security and sovereignty. He's also a member of the Sustainable Change Research Network, International Alliance for Localization, Donut Economics Research Lab, is an Ashtanga yoga teacher, Ayurvedic practitioner, and poet. Welcome, Ryan, to the show. How are you doing? Thank you. Yeah, it's an honor to be here, and I'm, I'm doing well. How are you doing? Great. Thank you for being here and allowing your presence to, to be a part of this. Before we begin, because I'd love to kind of go into your journey and how you started off on this track, I think it would be really helpful to contextualize for people what exactly is your definition of regenerative business. And I'm asking this in particular because a lot of people have heard of sustainable businesses, the sustainability movement, all of that. And regenerative, um, the regenerative movement is a newer term that has emerged relatively recently. First of all, the difference between sustainability and regeneration uh, and what exactly is regenerative business and what are the principles of that? Totally. Yeah, I think it's a good question because ultimately the majority of all of our questions or the origin of rather come through our language. And I think that our vocabulary has become something that we use in a way to promote ourselves and market ourselves, yet not necessarily coherent with the actual true root of what the word itself means. And sustainability as a word is something that most people know, like they hear sustainability and immediately it connects with some sort of environmental gradient, some sort of eco-consciousness, something related to them feeling good and doing good. Um, but really sustainability, when I hear the word sustainability, it means the maintenance of the harmony of life. So sustainability in itself is not necessarily specifically oriented as a term to something that needs to be applied to business. It's how am I living my life in a way that is, and sustainable means like the maintenance of, that's just what sustaining means. Like if I go and I have a garden that creates enough food for me and my family, then only in, only in the maintenance of the same food that we require on a day-to-day -day basis is that garden sustainable to take care of my own needs for consumption. Um, versus when, when we look in the term regenerative, or we can use the word generative as well, because in every single moment, there is change. So regenerative would mean that there's a, something happening and you're taking it from another moment and bringing it into this moment and generating from that versus having a freshness in the generative state of what it is. 
But when I think about regeneration, I think about it on a couple of different levels. I think regeneration in itself is tuning into the natural frequencies of our home, which is the earth. Um, and we could extend that to consciousness, but I'd, I think also using vocabulary that's too inexplicable and too unfathomable actually pulls us out of where we need to mm -hmm. focus, similar to the word climate, right? Like how can someone in one area view climate when someone else in a different area is viewing climate as something completely different? It's like more of an abstract macrocosmic term. So regenerative in this sense is plugging into the natural rhythms of nature. So similar to how a tree spends its seasonality and its time growing and eventually bears its fruit and not all of the fruit is eaten by animals or birds or other things, but the seeds are planted. And then naturally throughout that growth, things are being fed. The tree is taking care of its needs, but simultaneously there is a growth of that specific entity. And I think that that, and including in, in some of the traditional or more of the natural cultures, which we can call the indigenous cultures, um, they often wouldn't harvest every single thing that's there because really what's needed is to allow the plants to reseed themselves so that we take what we they would take what they need but simultaneously they're allowing the environment to naturally regenerate itself which is in in harmony with the actual way that it works so regenerative to me in the sense of business means how how can you operate and it, it's not really a definition as much as it is a process so it's wrapped your mind around a process in the sense of how can a business position itself to continue on a specific trajectory yet simultaneously within that trajectory or a small alteration of take care of more than itself and generate welfare beyond its activities that are specifically in the business silo thank you for that explanation and clarification it's interesting because it's such a more life affirming term in a way regeneration mm -hmm. there's an, an implied expansion and abundance with the word regeneration yeah totally. for sure yeah and I, I think that sustainability is a part of regeneration actually mm -hmm. especially when you think about it in this way like the image that comes to mind when you when you mention this is the ocean right there's different there's crests and troughs of the wave and normally the ocean is kind of moving in this specific way but at certain points in that natural ebb and flow, there are moments of stillness, which we could call the sustainability, which is the maintenance of. Mm -hmm. So I think that in that way, a tree is sustaining itself through the winter, utilizing the other ecosystems that, are, that it's a part of and transferring and allocating energy in these different capacities. But then when it's the time to fruit, it's the time to fruit. Mm -hmm. But simultaneously in, in the states of stillness, it's still sustaining itself. So I think that there are aspects of the same process but I think that ultimately living in an extractive economic operating system, sustainability also isn't necessarily, I don't want to say enough because there's this whole unworthiness thing that's happening everywhere, but like sustainability is something that can be utilized as a mechanism to remembering the natural systems that unfold and seeing that it is a part and parcel of a, of a natural ebb and flow, yet it's not the way that nature traditionally functions only. So how did you get into your line of work as a regenerative business consultant and 
sort of what led you um, from, I don't know if you started off doing this already and you were always sort of in this world or what led you into this area? Would you like the short or the long version? Whichever version you'd like to tell. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So to answer part of what the question inside of the question, was I always operating in this way? And the answer to that is uh, definitely not. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that we may enter the world in in a specific way, but obviously from that point on, there's a lot of introductions of projections, conditioning, and education that enter in that orient us in a specific way, dependent upon the culture itself. Um, and where I was, where I was raised in what's called Massachusetts, um, was more of a what I would call a weird culture, which is Western educated, industrialized, rich, democratic. And that oftentimes is taken as like humans, but really it's just a small sample size of a culture that's spread itself through globalization and through colonialization. Um, so I think initially I was brought up in a, in a middle-class family in a suburb a little bit north of Boston. And um, I grew up playing sports because both my parents enjoyed sports and I just had an act of athleticism. And eventually over time, uh, there just started to become these deconstruction and, cr- and moments of crumbling of who I thought that I was, seeing that potentially it wasn't who I was, but it was who others wanted me to be. And that happened probably in my late teens. And from that point, after that happened, I decided to quit the baseball team where I was playing at Northeastern. I was 20 years old and I moved to Hong Kong and started studying Chinese philosophy. And from that point in time, <clears throat> coming from, and I think this is this happens in a lot of different ways and traveling is one way to really introduce it in a rapid expansion. Um, and the pace of that is often very quick, but on our own journeys as well, this kind of happens over time where we're like, we're in this microscopic version of ourself and then something happens that expands the version of ourself who we thought that we were. And then all of a sudden, the threshold has been broken and it becomes this permeable sort of thing that starts to expand more and more. And that's kind of what happened when I moved to Hong Kong. And from that point on, I continued traveling and I became just really engulfed in learning and engulfed in culture and engulfed in discovery and engulfed in connection and engulfed in, in a way, the unknown being like, wow, that was one place the world has so many places. And from that point forward, I've, I've traveled for basically the last 11 years, um, doing a lot of different, a lot of different things and, and learning from a lot of different people and the way that they've intertwined synchronistically. And I mean, ultimately I can't take responsibility or not responsibility, but I can't take control of them in the sense that like I did it right it's just like mm-hmm. it's just a natural dependent origination which is a term from Buddhism it's just a natural way that things sort of happen and whether it's from my karma or something else um, it was just kind of this amalgamation of and absorption of all of these different things where as I continued to travel around the world I saw that they're really all interconnected into the same space because ultimately there isn't 
anywhere else that we think that we can go, even if we think that we're going somewhere like to Mars or to the moon, it's like we're going to bring our minds there with us. So where are we actually going? Mm -hmm. So it became this realization that no matter where you go, there you are. And every single thing that I was doing, whether it be cooking or out in the field here or doing a project here, it's like ultimately we are in our own worlds designated mm -hmm. by ourselves and simultaneously co-creating them with others. Mm -hmm. So so really the regenerative business consultant, how that came in was just seeing the interrelation and, and interconnectivity of everything that there was and seeing that it all is brought to us through nature. Mm -hmm. So in this capacity, how do we utilize everything that's happening in our world as the pathway forward to connect back with nature? And if we can connect back with nature, seeing that we are nature, then that's the definition of harmony. Can you um, share with us an example of one of the pivotal moments? Obviously, it's a it's a process like you like you had shared. But was there, let's say, a particular incident, or you? I'm sure there are many incidents, but one that you'd like to share with us during something that, the time. Something that shifted me something that really shifted you to that way of sort of realization of the interconnectedness? Hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, there's been many. One of the, one of the ones that, one of the ones that sticks out is related to the last time that I was in, was in India. Mm -hmm. And I was learning Ashtanga yoga from this teacher, Sri Vijay Kopala in Mysuru in India. So in, um, Karnataka, southern India, and there there became a point during the the yoga practice where someone came up to me and they said like Ryan, you really understand the concepts and and what's what's happening here, but there's still some sort of dissonance between your understanding conceptually and the way that your asana practice is is going, and there why are you still creating so much effort in your asana practice? And in that moment, something shifted where I realized that effort in itself is actually contradictory to nature and the way that things work in the natural systems. So in, in the same way that I was forcing, attempting to force myself into holding specific postures for a specific amount of time or wanting to push myself to achieve something to make myself think that I was doing it. it it's that's not how that's not how it, that's not how consciousness operates. It doesn't operate through force. Um, it operates through effortlessness. And in 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 Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, it says stiram sukham, which is um, stability and comfort. So really, part of what the journey is about, or at least in the from the yogic understanding, is to achieve states of stability and comfort. And really. Our whole ambition-driven, achievement-driven, forceful-driven paradigm is actually against or moving in the opposite direction of what is natural. Okay. So in this, in this kind of capacity, something shifted where, and it's still a continual practice, right? But the shift is just almost like a bowling lane. It's just like, mm -hmm. the, like the bumper that like reorients the way that you're moving. And in that way, it just shifted to really beginning to understand that when do I feel in effort 
and when do I feel mm -hmm. in effortlessness? And by entering into these sort of states, I could then have a natural gauge that could that could tell me when I was out of alignment with with that effortlessness. And I think that I mean Krishna Murthy talks about effort a lot, um, but that's a whole other subject. But this is uh, this is something that that was recently or in the past two three years has uh, as a reminder. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And, and that really resonates as well. I mean, it's something that I always catch myself, you know, when I'm, um, when I am not feeling in flow, when I am feeling that I'm struggling and everything is so hard. And then I kind of also want to say, wait, like, wait a minute, you know, step back and see and have the perspective and, and be in breath. Um, and you know, come back to that very understanding is that why, why, you know, why am I going against something when I can flow with it? And that is very much part of life. And um, yeah, thank you. So your book, which is called The Age of Separation. It's really interesting because what people I think a lot of people at the moment are grappling with is this immense polarity that has just gotten, which has always been with us, but has, I would say through the pandemic and where we are today, become more extreme. Whether it's political left or right or polarities and value systems and in the way they view their health and the way that, you know, so many, so many aspects. And your book, quote, provides a cross-cultural perspective on why our society is so polarized and a holistic framework for how we can mend it. So that's a big sentence encompassing a lot of ideas. And, you know, I would love for you to, to share um, a bit about what the book is about and also some of these ways that we can mend and sort of come back into wholeness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I mean, even the word wholeness, right? The word wholeness mm -hmm. means that there is a state of unwholeness, <laughs> which is essentially the separation. So, mm -hmm. and, and, and for me, the, the idea of the book came while I was in India, actually studying Ayurveda in Kerala. And I began to study the disease, uh, the states of disease formation in the body because in, in Ayurveda, it's essentially, it's a look at the elemental uh, world and the characteristics that the elements carry and then how those are in your natural constitution. And if you're not pairing the elements with your natural constitution in the right amounts or combinations, there's going to be some sort of stage one, which is accumulation of, which is the first stage of disease. And when I started to, to think about that, in, in the same context of yoga, I realized that accumulation is not only a biological phenomena, but it's also a mental phenomena. And, and what's the causation of accumulation? And as I started to look into that on a, on a mental level, the causation of the accumulation is self-identification uh, or limited identification, which essentially, is what's causing us to be separate because yoga or union is not a necessary process if we never separated 
So in itself, why is a, why is disease forming on a collective level on the planet? And we can look at it in many different realms, but if we th think about it fr from the mind and the mind being the, the, the manifesting generator of the way that we perceive our world and create in our world, then what's causing the instability that results in accumulation, which is utilizing the paradigm of extraction to fulfill its own desire system, either to mm -hmm. associate with or to disassociate with. Um, so, so from that point is where the idea for the book was, was born. Um, and it just kind of, I mean, the book just kind of flowed out of me. Um, and, but, but that's, that's really the initial concept. So, I mean, the, the book itself looks at how to extricate yourself from a limited self-identified viewpoint and move yourself into a, a, a more boundless state. Um, and I think anything, if you're moving from a limited identification into a more boundless identification, naturally you're going to to encompass more and be separate from less. And I think if we can do that with our relationship with the planet, with our relationship to others, whether it be culturally or nationally or with gender or with that, whatever thing is happening here, if we slowly extricate ourselves or deconstruct the walls that hold our self-identification in place, then really we're now expanding the threshold into who we are, which is beyond our own self-identification. So the book then looks at specific practices, techniques, and then some sort of interdisciplinary looks at our economic and value system, uh, the yogic system, and kind of how, how the education in the yogic system doesn't attach to knowledge, it attaches to ignorance in the sense mm -hmm. that you associate with what you, with what you don't know as, to, as opposed to with what you know. Because when, if you associate with what you know, that's so little, because what do we really even know? Mm -hmm. But the amount that we don't know is so vast. So that naturally leads you into a place of wanting to know and then experientially going in that route. So it looks at the yogic system, the Ayurvedic system. It looks at Vipassana and different Buddhist um, meditations. It looks at a little bit of race. Um, it looks at some some of the indigenous teachings that I've learned from, from mentors of mine around interconnectedness and uh, interbeing, and just really takes a look at all of them and, and, and just kind of brings to the surface the question of how do we utilize duality uh, to reattain our state of unity? Mm -hmm. Beautifully said. Thank you. What you just expressed, a lot of it has to do with uh, beyond identification is is if if we can shift our perspective and I love what you said about when we don't self-identify as much and we start to question and go into go into the unknown and also explore our relationship to everything that we perceive that's outside of us and we realize in that inquiry and into the relationship that there is a relationship. And mm. I feel like that seems to be an entryway, you know? So for example, an entryway into coming to that perspective that's more expansive so that we're not holding ourselves in fear or, you know, which is ultimately the result of when we're always othering everything else. It's like, oh, scary, scary. Mm. Oh, I want to be safe. All human beings want to be safe. You know, they want to feel secure and when, we perceive everything else as a threat, 
becomes the self-fulfilling prophecy. And um, yeah, it seems that what you're also saying is this relational aspect with ourselves yeah. and also with everything around us and what in, in, in terms of our environment as well. So where we live, the land, the animals on the land, the plants on the land, the other people on the land, um, all of this is actually a very worthwhile inquiry. Yeah, it's, I, th I think any inquiry is worthwhile. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> yeah, and I think, I, I think that's why I really appreciate the yogic system is because self-inquiry self is bringing you to the point of questioning everything, even the things that you think that you know. And if you're able to enter into that space authentically, not strictly conceptually, but actually experientially to really feel that like, wow, I'm just here on this planet. Trees are here, pineapples are popping out of the ground, like banana tree, like what a miracle, like what a miracle life is. Like even our, even our next breath, we assume that it will be here because we don't generate it. Where does it come from? We don't know. We say the trees, we say the ocean. But like ultimately human beings are dependent upon or interdependent with every single ecosystem that earth is. So without any of these other things, we cannot exist. So you can't play a zero sum game with your own home, nor can you take a stance of arrogance and act like we don't need everything to survive because mm -hmm. we do. With, without water for a few days, what happens? Without food for, your, for a few days, what happens? Unless you've gotten to certain states of very deep contemplation where you're breatharian or in these really deep states of meditation, like all human beings and most beings, animals, plants, they need this consistent collaboration and, up, and uptake of, of the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So I think any level of self-inquiry that brings us into a state of humility is really important because when you're in a state of humility, you're not going to try to control something. Um, you're not going to try to own it or dominate it or alter it in its expression. And I think when we talk about love, I don't think that you can love something and try to dominate it. Mm -hmm. I don't think that you can love something and try to control it. I think that that is already counterintuitive to what love is. Well said. You said something earlier, which was which is really important when you were talking about the pineapples and the bananas popping up and just the felt sense, right? The felt sense of, how do I say this? Taste, feeling, that which is really perceiving, not just looking at something, you know, like not talking about, oh, so here's this glass in front of me or here's this person in front of me. Hmm. It's being in presence with whatever it is that we are with and you spent so much time in nature and you've been so you spent so much time traveling as well i feel like asking you is that one of the keys i would say to actually coming into deeper knowing of this interconnectedness of the joy of being, so to speak, no matter what's going on around us. Does mm -hmm. that resonate with you or does that ring? Yeah, true? absolutely. I think that, I think presence is, might be the key mm -hmm. because in presence, you're not in the mind. Mm 
So when you're not in the mind, you're not in language, you're not in the conceptualization or the objectification of, you're not in the knowledge realm, you're in the somatic experience of relation with. Mm -hmm. And I think if, if, if we're using presence in that context, then we can say the presence is more of the heart. Um, and I think when, when, we, when we can navigate into these sort of places by getting out of our own minds or losing our minds, which I think is an interesting and lovely phrase that's been mm -hmm. spun a bunch of different ways. Um, <laughs> Definitely. But if you're able to lose your mind and enter your heart and, and feel, experientially feel that relation with, through presence, through stillness, that's something that is extremely transformative. And, and in, those, in those spaces, we get small glimpses and tastes of, of what is um, before we decided to label it, chop it up, break it down and turn it into something usable. For sure. Something we actually talk about, a lot about in the show, which is why it's called How Things Connect, is precisely, it's precisely that, it's like, very on the nose, but it's true, is, is um, the importance of actually having heart intelligence and connecting to our heart intelligence. We all have it. It may be less practiced than perhaps we would like or that or we know of how to do. And, um, you know, coming back to the accumulation when you were talking about earlier with Ayurveda, we are so overly in some ways dependent on the mind mind is amazing it's powerful it's awe-inspiring at the same time when there seems to be with a lot of what's happening in society we are so over dependent on the mind we have forgotten the balance with the heart and you know it's something that i feel um humanity is is slowly waking up to more and more yeah yeah and i mean mm -hmm. in the word mind is my like it's mind it's mind mm -hmm. <laughs> like it's in the word you know it's maybe not spelled it's spelled m-i-n-d but not m-y-n-d but it's like when i think about the word the mind is this interesting encompassing thing right and and i think that one of the one of the things that i've noticed in general is like terms like the heart right like we say the heart, people have a thought that it's the organ. If they don't, they have a thought that it's some like woo-woo expression mm -hmm. that's happening from somewhere else. And that it does like, but no, like, like I mean, there's organizations like Heart Math that are like measuring like the, the natural intelligence of the heart. And the heart is where I think that things come from that are not being filtered through the mind or the, I mean, in yoga, they talk about the, the different divisions of the of the chitta. Of consciousness right and it's like when it comes through the heart i don't know if it goes through those places I, personally i think that it doesn't so it's coming through a less filtered um or more felt sense as opposed to the mind just coming through that filtered space mm -hmm. for for sure um this brings us to it brings me to actually another point is you know we talked about this a little bit earlier is this current meme about wokeism. So it's sort of been touted or it sort of came about as sort of the antidote to the old guard, to the, to the old paradigm, to what has been perceived as establishment authority. And yet, you know, in that word is, is contains, you know, awakening, which sounds great. And, you know, all of us who've been on sort of the, 
a path of consciousness or wanting to walk this path or have been walking this path. It's something we're familiar with, but wokeism kind of came out in a different way. And it's been interesting to observe because in itself, it's become, it's a little, it's very ironic because it's, it's, it's also encompassed this separation aspect um, where it's not so heart-centered and it's this othering again that's taking place, but at a, you know, under new terms, so to speak, but in its essence seems to be the same kind of othering and would love for you to, to speak to that. And the difference between, you know, awareness and awakening in consciousness versus wokeism. Yeah, I think that's a, a beautiful discussion point. And the first word that comes in my mind is commodification. So taking spirituality and the path back towards unity and taking it from one point of view and like packaging it and like handing it up to be like sold right because that's the way that our value system works is it commoditizes things that are trendy and then forms them into something to be like digested um on another level i think that this wokeism movement if we're calling it or this just this ism in general is another pitfall because it just creates a whole nother hierarchical stance of righteousness between people who like, I, I am now more of this than you are. Therefore, like, look at me and my stance and I get to, I get to eat all of this spiritual food and you're down here starving. And look, let's look at the discrepancy between us. Mm -hmm. And even if you're looking at the discrepancy between people and thinking that you're in such a good place, but not worrying about someone else or wanting to disassociate from someone else, that's not really joy or happiness. That's more of a sickness of comparison. So I think that the wokeism in general like, has is created this hierarchy where like, oh, that person doesn't know what Pleiades is or like, oh, that person's only Reiki one attuned or like whatever it is that they don't do breath work, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's like all of these things start to come in that like, like continually like puff you up and blow you up when really the journey is not to continually add on layers of complexity mm -hmm. and things that you think that you're doing in order to attain something. It's actually the reverse. It's not more effort, it's less effort. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this is why the thing with studying yoga was so powerful, right? Because it's like, oh, all of this is like a confusion of the mind because mm -hmm. I actually need to just deconstruct or or extricate myself from things that I think that I am rather than continually adding new things in that I think that I am. So in a way, I think the wokeism movement has, has there's just another point of confusion, which is where the term like Babylon, which maybe you hear in reggae all the time, right? Babylon is, is, a, is an Aramaic word, or it comes from the Aramaic word balal, uh, which means to confuse so like when we think about the term babylon and how like our at least in reggae it's depicted that the existing systemic way of the world is similar to babylon and it, really it's just thrust in confusion and thrust in these smoke and mirrors of the mind because i think that the mind is what creates confusion and the deeper you get into the mind and think that you've gotten beyond the mind is where the confusion then becomes more confusing <laughs> Because, because as you, because at least from my experience, as you start to become more subtle and more subtle, mm -hmm. the ways that you're out of alignment 
start to become more subtle and more subtle until you think that you're not actually out of alignment anymore, even if you are subjugating another human or separating them from your experience. And I think for me, what, what resonates, and I thought about this maybe like a few months ago, I think it hit me where it's like the whole point of all of this stuff is to just like, I can look at you and you can look at me and there's like, we're just humans. Like how do, how can I be a person? Mm-hmm. And, and by really being a person, connecting with an electrician at the house or connecting with a homeless person on the street here, like connecting with a billionaire at some party sipping mezcal soaked in ginseng, like whatever the thing is, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, how do you connect and be fully in your personhood mm-hmm. and being fully in that personhood, you're fully divine because you're not pushing anyone out and you're not pulling anyone in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you're just right here with them in the presence and it gets back to that where it's like within the presence there's no co-opting and no labeling and no extraction and trying to take something prior to what you prior to the level that you think that you know it at and then to spread it to try to make money and then you end up diluting the teaching and then there's more confusion mm-hmm. so so really and i i think it's a i think it's just a symptom of 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 the value system that we live in and because people are continuously forced into creating a living which already is an ironic term um, but just how, like 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 how do i how do i make this something for me right how mm-hmm. do i take this and make sure that i can blah 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 it's like even that in itself is extractive and that is taking something that was never meant to be commoditized nor can it ever be and trying to turn it into something to generate value. And that's just because we've pinned value to metrics and to numbers and to wealth and to things that fit in directly with our economic operating system. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, those are some thoughts. (laughs) Thank you. Um, I feel like, you know, one huge operating word here is humility and how to stay in that which actually helps it's it's a practice of not falling into certain traps and even then you know what we don't have all the answers we're doing our best and so is everybody else right and that's something also to to always keep in mind is and and that actually brings in a lot more compassion and forgiveness for others and also for ourselves and i think that that is an important thing to to remember because we can get really caught up you know, in, in whatever stage, it doesn't even matter. Like, yeah, doesn't matter. And there is, um, you know, back to sort of be, back to being a little more detached with, with things and just holding the space. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. We were, we, we were taught about it in, in kindergarten, right? Do unto others as you would have done unto you. It, yeah, it can literally be true. that simple. <laughs> it is, it is. Thank you for that reminder, for sure. Um, for sure. Yeah, uh, because let's use the example of like, you wanna, you need to borrow someone's car. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you let that same person borrow your car, how would you want them to, to you to treat your car? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just do that with the other person. And then if, if you can extend the word person or change it into entity or being, mm-hmm. then it's like, 
oh, look at that cow. How would I treat the cow if the cow was me? Mm -hmm. Because it is you. Mm -hmm. It's not not you. <laughs> and then we start to extend it into these ways. And it's like that rule. It's like, how do you, how do you treat the, and then just, I mean, there's a thought that comes up where like, well, what if you, what if you have a trauma response and you've learned to treat yourself in a specific way based on something that happened to you in your life. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, that's a whole nother discussion topic. <laughs> um, but ultimately if we can honor and treat another being with the same kindness that and compassion that we would like to be treated with, then I think mm -hmm. that we're going in the right direction and we learn it conceptually, but very rarely do we learn that experientially. Absolutely. But actually, I do want to bring up the, the, the whole thing with trauma, because we all are traumatized. We have been traumatized in certain ways, some to a deeper extent than others, some lesser. And, you know, it's an important topic to explore in the sense, you know, in the context of what we're talking about, because, again, what is this relationship to our experience, to ourselves, right? Exploring that, uh, being present to our feelings of that, instead of putting it in a box and pretending it never existed or locking it away or in the, you know, on the contrary, letting it completely take over our lives and not really processing and moving that energy. And it's something that back to feelings and just back to this felt sense, um, a big, I would say, way of disassociation is really just ignoring our own feelings about things because mm. we're just too busy, you know, back to the value system of the econ our economic system. It's like, okay, am I making a wage? Am I making a good salary? Am I going to work? Am I getting promoted? I have to pay my mortgage. I have my kids, you know, all of that. Yes, that may be true, but then it's, those are also really, really, um, and those have to, obviously one has to address those needs. And at the same time, what is often then ignored are our own pain responses and our own our own traumas and uh, you know this is i believe um for a lot of us has been a starting point and i count myself in that right it where you know you go wait a minute something is off what is going on here and you go on that journey mm -hmm. and you go and and kind of figure it out you know you don't have the answers but you inquire you find teachers you learn particular modalities and healing um, or wisdom traditions, you work with plant medicines, you, you find it out for yourself. And that, that journey is so necessary for us to actually keep moving into, into you know, it, and keep moving in through with life instead mm. of being stagnant. And then ultimately nothing in life, if you look at nature, back to nature, nothing is stagnant. It's always moving, it's either moving one way or the other so you know if you are in stagnation you're in death and by the way nothing wrong with death because death is part of life but when we are in that stagnant phase we cannot actually um feel that full sense of being alive hmm. and that becomes very um just really depleting and just minimizes our experience of, of being on, on this planet. And it's, that's not helpful for anyone, least of all yourself, right? So 
Yeah, well said. Yeah, and you know, we talked, you know, we talked a lot about spirituality without obviously saying, oh, this is, you know, we're just talking about life and the consciousness. Um, how do we, we also had, had a chat about this earlier, you know, as Buckminster Fuller's famous quote says, you never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. So, you know, coming into this consciousness, how do we operate in the world? How do we embody what we now know, what we've learned into action? And how do we do that? What are your thoughts? Hmm. I'd like to pull a little bit from what you just shared and mm -hmm. something that kind of arose when you were sharing is that is interesting is that our entire existing economic operating system is actually a trauma response. Mm -hmm. And the way that we function in the world is actually in response to the fact that we're separate from it. So the way that we have now built the, the functionality of our world is already in a trauma response, which naturally means that the beings who have to survive within it are going to somehow be exposed to trauma. Because within that system, and, and there's very interesting things where, where certain people have shared with me that like, uh, like, I really wish that I could do this in, I really wish I could attain this in my current position at my current business or like whatever their goal might be. And it's like, it's so interesting because maybe that business functions already in a way that is preventing you from attaining those values. And that's why it's functioning perfectly within the existing value system. So it, it's interesting to think about how can you re restructure the value system in a way that allows people to a get back in touch with what actually makes them joyful so a get back in touch with the fact of of love and being in love with life which i think naturally actually needs to um, tap back into grief which i think in a busy and fast-paced society we have no time to grieve right and i think that so I think true. The, here, here, I think the co out. like COVID is it like creates space, right? There is mm -hmm. a space, and I think humility is one of the biggest messengers of COVID. But I think also providing space for people to reconnect back into a place where they slow down enough to maybe even experience their emotions. Exactly. Because when you experience your emotions and you realize the way that life has changed, without the clinging or attachment to redefining and getting back into whatever state of normal we thought that we were. There's going to be natural emotions that arise of grief if you really were even alive enough to love the life that you were living. Because if if you weren't and you didn't and you never actually loved your life and you were in an anesthetized state because mm -hmm. of the way that the world has been functioning, then you can't grieve because it's been repressed so much that you're actually just walking dead. Exactly. So the, so the first question is like, how can how can you reinvigorate the existing? system or build a bridge if you think about these like a canyon right there's like we're on state we're on side a and here's side b and like how do you build a bridge between the two so i think reinvigorating that reinvigorating with life i think is something that naturally needs to happen and the way that i view life is with the 
is when we talk about nature, we talk about harmony. So harmony can also be viewed in this way of an orchestra or some sort of music where it's like each instrument is playing itself beautifully within that. And in that entire orchestral framework, there's harmony because each instrument is playing itself. So how can, how can we enable businesses or how do we enable our lives to allow us to express ourselves fully in an aligned state with something that doesn't harm nature? So, the, so I think the second way to be able to do that is how do you change the, the, the weight or the density of specific things that businesses are dependent upon, right? Like I, I, the way that it's structured in economics is it went from stakeholder value in businesses to shareholder value. And from that point on, the stakeholders, in order to reward the shareholders the most at one end, it started being trimmed off. So certain margins throughout the entire stakeholder chain ended up being lessened and lessened to increase on one level, the shareholder value. Mm-hmm. So really this is plugged into the existing, and it's, it's a reason why like a Lint chocolate bar can go for $8 at a store and Lint is making bank off of all of their chocolate bars. And then the, the cacao farmer from Cote d'Ivoire has never even seen a Lint chocolate bar in his life. Never does he know that the cacao is actually put in chocolate. It's like, okay, well, why is this sort of thing happening, right? Like, why is there no accountability or responsibility or do unto others as you would have done to you as the cacao farmer? So like, how, how do you re-look at the entire system? So this is where the word holistic comes in. And this is why the name Pueo, which is the name of the consulting companies, that, that's the Hawaiian short-eared owl. And the owl is one of the animals that can basically turn its head 360 degrees. And it can provide guidance in that way that it can see things from many different angles. So how can we begin to look at the way that we're structuring business and see that it's coming from the mind in these desire systems that are programmed from and conditioned from the value system that we have taken as inherent in nature when it is not? And how do we realign that value system through the heart as opposed to through the mind? Because I think if you're able to actually realign that through the heart, that's when you'll start to really understand that you don't, we don't need as much as we think that we need. What are we even trying to do actually with all of the things? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is it some sort of forward progress march, which, which is our definition of success and growth and all of these things that have some sort of upward trajectory, just like the linear model of economics? Is that why we're in it? Is that why we always need more things? So what, so how do we actually orient the way that businesses are looking at the world and functioning to enable the stakeholder chain on all levels to be met while simultaneously regenerating and assisting in the livelihood to bring everyone up to a specific level, not causing this massive juxtaposition of wealth, which is just symptomatic of a system, which actually in ancient Greece was called cre- uh, cre- crematistics or cremastistics, I think. So there was a differentiation in the in the Greek terminology, which is where the word economics came from is oikos, which means home, and then nomic or nomos, which is management. So it was household management. But then there was this other art that was called chromastistics, which was how to accumulate wealth. Mm. And they were two different sciences (laughs) or two different arts. 
And I think that we've forgotten about household management, not only our household, but our collective household as the planet. We've forgotten about that management mm -hmm. and how to meet that for all beings because we're dependent upon each and every one of everything mm -hmm. versus the strict accumulation of wealth, which causes the massive juxtaposition of suffering on the planet. Um, so I think there's kind of a couple things in there um, about how we could potentially begin to ideate. And I mean, Charles Eisenstein talks about myths, right? Like all of these things are, um, there are mythos, which is a story and the story is how we function our life. And this relates back to trauma, which is the sense that we're projecting our specific reality onto the reality itself, which is not the reality itself. It's merely our projection of it. And in that state, like you said, that stagnation. And one of the principles of nature, according to Buddhism, is anicca or impermanence. Mm -hmm. So how do you embrace this understanding and actually filter it into a way that we can build a bridge, not so that businesses die, because a business can't be sustainable or regenerative if, if the business isn't sustainable itself. Mm -hmm. So how do we actually do this in the capacity that we need to, to lead the businesses and play into the specific value system that's needed while simultaneously shifting it out of a gradient of harm and into harmony. So those are just a couple of things that arise. <laughs> just a couple, just a couple of small things. <laughs> I would love to to ask you if you if you could, Ryan. Um, can you give an example of, let's say, with in the consulting work that you've done? Um, an example of a company that you've you've helped and and sort of guided through this process. I mean, I would love to. I think we would love to hear. At the moment, obviously, there are companies that are more open and innovative, and, and some that are less willing to make a shift. But in terms of the ones who are, where have you found the sticking point? That the resistance, and how have you, if you could give an example, how? were you able to overcome that? I'm not sure I can give a specific example just because that would be the companies actually like operating in a specific mm -hmm. way, but I can give like a general uh, macroscopic view of, of how that worked. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I, so normally for me, one of the first processes that I engage in is what is called, is what I call a sustainability checkup, like going to a doctor. Um, so there's essentially like when you go to the doctor, you go to, you go get your physical, right? There's different mm -hmm. parts of your body that the doctor's checking. I haven't had a physical in a very long time because I just have learned how to balance my own health. <laughs> um, but in the case that you do get yearly physicals, it's like, this is one of the starting points of, of where I bring companies where it's like, why don't we test this part of your materials science? Or why don't we test this specific part about your employee wellness, or why don't you test this specific part about this, your stakeholder chain, or why don't you test? So you start end up like basically getting an inventory of the way that the company functions, right? And then essentially from that point, you can break it down into, into specific ways of checking to see, A, does the company even know that it's doing that, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> because mm -hmm. we often do, we often do a lot of things and we just forget that we even do them. You're like, did you know that you put your toothbrush like under the pillow? It's like, oh, I didn't even know. I thought that's where I just put my toothbrush. <laughs> it's like you, you end up like, do you know that you're doing this, right? Mm -hmm. Like it puts it out into the open. Right. 
And then from that point, you can be like, all right, well, is it, is it in harmony or is it not in harmony? Or are you treating this in a way that is actually living into the value system in the world that you want to create or are you not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like very simple. And from that point, you get to see like what in the actual organism of the organization is out of balance or in disequilibrium. And then utilizing understandings of elemental understandings for Ayurveda and different other systems that I've, that I've learned over the years is how do you balance the system? How do you balance the organism back into a state of equilibrium or health? Um, so, so it really can, and it really just depends on the company and it depends on the product um, and what they're doing. Um, and it also depends how willing, like you're saying, or able the people are to bend in the traditional way that businesses are operating. Mm-hmm because of all the other things that you mentioned earlier, like, oh, I have a mortgage, oh, I have a cell phone bill, oh, I have a Ferrari, oh, I have this, oh, I have, like whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, how, how willing are you to create the world that you wanna live in mm-hmm. with, the, with the constraints and parameters that seemingly are here with our current world? So there's a willingness as well as an inventory, as well as just a general gauge of health that kind of takes place that assists in the gradient of the way that the business can then run because the business is just made up of individuals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and really, I think where I like to focus on is utilizing natural systems in nature to see how we can mimic, and this is called biomimicry, except mm-hmm. normally it's utilized in, in like design principles, mm-hmm. it's, it's utilized more in, but not necessarily in process-oriented principles. Like for example, how can we look at mushrooms or vultures that sit on the precipice of life and death and act as decomposition mechanisms for nature how do we utilize this to decompose a specific part of your business that isn't functioning and transmute that as compost into new life absolutely so it's looking at these different processes and then applying them um, as entering back into equilibrium of the organism thank you thank you for sharing that couple of things you said there's I love how um you actually boil it down to to we function in very complex systems whether in business and society and such but there is a way of actually simplifying what we're looking at and just listening I'm not saying that it's an easy thing necessarily but that there are ways that you just described that actually can distill whatever the issue that needs to be overcome into simple terms, into just, you know, first observation, you know, actually recognizing where they are at, where we are at, and then just going, okay, well, what are the simplest things we are observing here? Is it actually conforming to the values that you say that you believe in or want to be a part of? And obviously in the execution of that, there it's going to be more complicated but i like how um because if you look at all of the wisdom traditions in whether it's ayurveda yoga you know sure there's thousands upon thousands of positions and thousands upon thousands of sort of lines of scripture or lines of whatever you know uh, mantras that you can recite but you actually can with with indigenous wisdom with with um spiritual wisdom you can actually get back to the simple building blocks which is actually fundamental and 
you know, just take take case in point when you were saying do to others as you would like to be done to, right? And so, so there's that. Um, I'm saying this because I think sometimes a lot of the problems we perceive as overwhelming. And mm -hmm. there are a lot of people, a lot of companies say, you know, of course we want to help the environment. Of course we want to do things in a better way, but oh, and then there are all these, all these reasons why not to. And yeah. the second point I, I wanted to kind of pull from what you were saying is our own responsibility in the outcomes, right? We forget a lot of times things don't happen to us. We are part of what happens. We are there as an active co-creating force. And this is not woo-woo at all. It's that we often forget how much we can change the equation. And yeah, it's because sometimes, well, especially if we're observing everything else happening to us, then it's like, oh yeah, of course it's overwhelming. Oh my God, you know, climate disasters. How could me, one little me, make any difference, right? And that's the, that's the kind of... Um, I feel misguided and sort of disempowered way of looking at it. It's, it, you know, it, that's the, not exactly the right question to ask, you know, let's ask the right questions, meaning on a right in the sense that what can propel us forward, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I feel like understanding, you know, that we are part of this life force as well. And we have the power and the ability to change the course of, the future and that's where the regenerative movement and creating a regenerative future uh, and how that intersects with us as individuals comes into play is that is that no one big thing is to remember that everything that we do has a consequence and that even our thoughts our words you know especially how we it of course how we interact with each other but that as as almost trite as that sounds it's actually something that's often overlooked. It's the trim tab also analogy, right? That little bit of the rudder, you have this huge, huge rudder and then you have a tiny, tiny trim tab and all it needs to do is move a little bit and then it just can turn thousand ton ship. And uh, I feel that, that that is something which is a good reminder for us. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It, it reminds me of this, of this, uh, not a billboard. It's like a piece of driftwood that has some, uh, words painted on it at the bottom of Polalu Valley on the big Island. It says, if, if your words were tattoos, would you still be beautiful? Mm, I like that and a lot. And you could, and you could take that and say, if your actions were words, would you still be beautiful? Or if your actions were tattoos, would you still be beautiful? Mm -hmm. and and really being able to witness like you said the merging of the cause and the effect where it's like if if you approach someone at a store and you have some sort of irritability on you and then the, and then the person is irritable back to you did you create that through your irritability because if you entered into the store with no irritability would that person still have been irritable to you mm-hmm mm-hmm if you're if you're if you're, if you're afraid that you that you leave your house and you have to lock it because you're so, so attached to all of your belongings and therefore you lock all of your doors because you lack trust are you calling in someone to 
test your trust? Or if you left the door unlocked, would you be completely fine? So like, in what, in what way is our resonance and coherence altering the way that the environment is being expressed? And I think if, if we can kind of live in that space, that feels like the space of regenerative, which also, like you said, is remembering, which also is simultaneously responsibility. I mean, they all have this re, right? Because it's, yeah. it's cyclical. It doesn't operate in a linear format. And this re or this, this continuity of the discontinuity of life, which is in this cyclical shape, this seasonal shape, this elementary shape, right? Like Sherlock Holmes, elementary dear Watson. It's like, yeah. how do we know he's not talking about just the elements, like the bare characteristics of like, this is how things work. It's just the basic building blocks of how things work. And I think to look at it like that and to live in, and live in that capacity, that feels like if we can really do it, and it's not a pipe dream, right? It's not like, oh, I, I really want a house up in the mountains. And it's like, okay, well then go get a house in the mountains. It's like, oh no, like that. And it's just like, it's this thing that makes them feel better, but they don't actually really want it. It's like a pipe dream. Mm. And if we can treat the way that we actually, oh, I really want to live in a world that's like this, or this would be awesome to see. It's like, just do it then. Yeah, yeah. And we all have so that it's rec ability, reclaiming yeah. that power. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 absolutely. No, I, yeah. so I didn't mean to interrupt, but yeah, absolutely. And that is exactly it. Reclaiming the power. Yeah. Reclaiming our power. Tell us yeah. about your new course on regenerative leadership, speaking of how to actually make things happen in the world that's, that are more regenerative. It's beginning in January. Yeah, January, January is going to be the first uh, group. Mm -hmm. um so and, and the course will be open for sign up um in mid-november mm -hmm. um so people will be able to find it on my personal website which is just ryanjkemp.com uh, but basically what what the course is or i i mean what what really it is it, it, it's more of a, a d program is is what i call it because I think that this unlearning model or this deprogramming model is actually what's more needed than another program to teach someone another way of being. I think we mm -hmm. need actually the opposite. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so really what the course will be or the, the, the gradient of, of, the, of the lessons and the information is, I mean, the way, what, what we touched upon and kind of the, the dynamism and the ways that we ebbed and flows between economics and grief and yoga and Ayurveda and nature and it's like this is kind of the way that the course leads people on and then at the end of it it just it it's really a deconstruction process mm -hmm. um, so so people will be able to navigate their way through the course and there will be learning modules there will be group calls there will be one-on-one -on -one calls there will be feedback loops there will be all of these other things and and through that process um, pop out the other side with a little bit more of an expanded lens upon what we what we actually call sustainability or, or regenerative um, because ultimately and I find this and sometimes I joke around with people and uh, my friend Alex and I were talking about this the other day we're like using this like the wokeism um, thing as, as this like kind of like not as a joke but like <laughs> I have like, 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 oh, there's no difference between breath work and recycling. 
like because sustainability is spirituality mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day all of these all these techniques that we're all trying to do right like yeah why are we trying to, why are we trying to get enlightened like why are we trying to do this thing like it's an achievement it's called realization right realization is not an achievement realization just happens you just realize it you're like oh and then the remainder of the time is actually integrating the realization and that's exactly what is like with plant medicine right it's like mm -hmm. you're in a ceremonial context so that you're in, held in a container but the ceremony is your life that's right and the integration, so the integration is actually the most process. important thing important right and that and that might happen for 10 years mm -hmm. that might happen the rest of your life right mm -hmm. but like continually going back every single weekend to try to get something new you're you're bypassing the integration so so i think what's really needed is is kind of this like just this container that 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 holds us all in where it's like at the end of the day like you can be enlightened and you can have the coolest elephant pants and scarf and like it doesn't like what does it really matter it's like, are we doing things collaboratively to, to live in a world that we all want to live in, that we love and it's in alignment with the planet and with alignment yeah. with harmony and alignment with and our spiritual evolution? Yeah, and exactly. And I think that, and I think this is kind of, this is for me why I, I believe the paradigm is, is really shifting into a, into a heart-based system is because mm -hmm. if you think about a lot of the, the, the words that are used, right, it's like downloading. Like, oh, I got these really cool downloads. It's like, okay. So if you're thinking of it in that way, that means you're below something and you're downloading it. That means it's coming through your mind and then it's coming out of your throat. Mm -hmm. So it never even passed through your heart. So you're creating from a place of the mind. And the mind is this wild carnival where like you'll just create new desires and new things that you want forever and ever and ever. And we'll get... We'll have Slack products and build products that build off of Slack. And it's an extension of this. And it's just, mm -hmm. we'll get more and more granular in our desires until we optimize the human out of ourselves. Or we can get to the point of like uploading mm -hmm. and that's working directly with the earth and uploading it. And then it will come through the heart mm. and there can be both. It can be the download, but can you bring it down the longest journey mm -hmm. and the human the human experience is from the mind to the heart, the longest 12 inch journey anyone will ever take. Mm -hmm. How can we do that journey in, of the download back through the heart and back out into creation so that the creation itself is, is not filtered through the mind but is utilized by the heart? Beautifully said, Ryan. Beautifully said. I cannot wait to upload this podcast episode onto the platforms. <laughs> So um, is the best way to reach you for people to find you uh, on your website or on Instagram or what's the best way to, to contact you? Yeah, In Instagram, I'm, I'm there. The website's there. There's like a, a little contact form. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, either one of those work. Um, there's also, I also have four books on Amazon. There's The Age of Separation. Mm -hmm. uh, there's also a poetry book that was kind of a amalgamation of poems that I wrote over the course of seven years. So it was cool because I got to like witness my own journey and my poetry when I just pieced them all together into this book called Returning Home. Um, and then there's two children's books, both about Buddhism, um, also on the Amazon page. So if people are interested in reading, there's that. If someone just wants to get in touch with me, you can come through Instagram or the website, www.ryanjkemp.com. Yeah. Fabulous, Ryan. Well, what a great conversation. 
Thank you so yeah. much for being on the show. Thank you. Aloha. And we're, we're together. So it's a pleasure speaking with you and to be on this journey with you. So until next time. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. I would be so appreciative if you would rate the show and leave a comment. I also invite you to join our Patreon community for exclusive content and to connect more directly. Learn more at howthingsconnect.com. Take care and stay tuned.